Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, that it is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and that through it, you change our lives. Through it, you speak to us. Thank you that your word is so powerful that it created the world. When you spoke, everything came to be. And as you speak to us in your word, you are making us new creations in Christ. So we trust you and our hearts are attentive to your word. Holy Spirit, come and speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been dissatisfied with what the world has had to offer? Yeah, you know, I love a box of Cheez-Its, but at the end of the box, in one sitting, I don't feel so full. I feel kind of empty. Um, I know that's kind of a, a small example. Uh, however, the closet is a battle for many of us anyway. Uh, the pantry, excuse me. But uh, yeah, you know, when we... When we dive into the world, we discover that it's not as satisfying as we thought. During the coronavirus epidemic, I talked with a friend the other day who in June, he he is a supplier for Amazon, and in June, he said he had one of his highest um, sales that he ever had was in June. And you can imagine with all the online buying and selling, some people have made a lot of money during this time. He's an entrepreneur. He's always think entrepreneur. He's always thinking about ways to do business and how to grow business. And he gets he enjoys that sort of thing. He loves the Lord. He's a Christian, but he noted that when all that money came in, there was an empty feeling. And I think it may have surprised him uh, that feeling. Sometimes. Pursuing money, pursuing the things of the world, surprise us when they don't satisfy like we thought they might. And that job or that status or that position doesn't do all that I thought it would do. When becoming famous or well-known is not all that it was chalked up to be. And yet that's what the world preaches to us. Every high school student is preached. What do you want to do in life? What's your dream? Every Disney movie I've ever seen talks about, talks about dreams, talks about, and then your life will be fulfilled. But when you get there, you find it doesn't pan out like you would hope. It's like a leaky bucket. Like a leaky bucket. You fill that bucket with water thinking it'll be enough to satisfy your thirst, but you find there's a leak in the bottom of the bucket. Beloved, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because until I discover that I, the world cannot satisfy my thirst for significance, my thirst for what is important, for purpose, for fulfillment, I may not turn to Christ. Until I discover that only He can satisfy my thirst, I will be disappointed with the world. Christ gives living water to satisfy your thirst and mine. And we're going to take a little bit to look at a story of how Jesus met a woman at a well and satisfied her thirst. So in John chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. 
Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, a little context here. Samaria, to the Jews, was like passing through an area where you were not welcome. It was an area that you did not engage with the people there. Jews and Samaritans did not talk to one another. The Jews considered Samaritans to be a mixed breed. There was a lot of racism towards the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were like compromised Jews. They had a, a temple of their own. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They had other gods that they worshipped. So to the Jews, you didn't associate with a Samaritan. And interesting enough, the town called Sukkar means drunken. Drunken. So that's an interesting context clue as he stops at a well in a town called Drunken. Satiated with the world, you might say. He sits down and ironically, the Son of God is tired. Wearied as he was with his journey. And possibly even thirsty. Human feelings. Thank you, Richard. Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus engages with this woman at the well. At the hot point of the day, when no one would come to draw water, a woman came along to draw water. Probably an outcast of her society. She comes when nobody else is going to be there to draw water. Because she maybe, perhaps, felt the shame of associating with other Samaritans. Not only that, she was a woman. And as sketchy as it could be, a man interacting with a woman, how more so when a Jewish man interacts with a Samaritan woman. And yet Jesus engages with her and asks her for a drink. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, this is something I noticed recently that Jesus does, is he uses a physical example or a physical starting point to have a spiritual conversation. Okay, he does this over and over again in the Bible. So, for example, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to him by night and talks to him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And just like the Samaritan woman asking him about the physical example, Nicodemus said, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? Right? They're still on the physical track. Right? We haven't gotten to the other track yet. Uh, Jesus does that a lot in the Bible, where he appeals to a physical example to teach you about a spiritual truth. For those who are not familiar with Christ or with the Bible, it's helpful to use a physical example of something. Um, I spoke with a person the other day and uh, used the example of talking about how perspective um, this person had felt like they were complaining all the time for what they were seeing around them. And uh, I had a picture come into my mind as we were talking, and sometimes I believe it's from the Lord. And the picture was, sometimes you look around and the world is dark, even when the sun's out. How can the world be dark even when the sun's out? When you're wearing a pair of sunglasses. Sometimes your perspective has more to do with you than it does what's out there that you see. So using a physical example to talk about a spiritual truth. There's another man that never liked it when I would tell him about, he didn't like when I talked to him about Jesus. He seemed to like it kind of, but at first he wouldn't. And um, hold on one second, we got a phone call. Um, it's okay. The reason I pause is because I can't think about the sermon when the phone's ringing, so I figure you can't either. <laughs> God's calling. Yeah. In the middle of the service. Yeah. Um, <coughs> another example I'd tell Jerry if you were driving off of a cliff and somebody saw you driving off of a cliff, what would be the loving thing to do? Wave. No, it wouldn't be a wave. <laughs> it would to tell them stop. Stop. Right? That would not be a loving thing to do. And so when a Christian tells somebody to repent or to stop, it comes off not very good. But when you realize it's like they're driving their car off a cliff, it starts to make sense. You see, you use a physical example to explain to somebody what's going on spiritually. So Jesus does this often in the Bible. And now with this woman, he is going to transition into a spiritual truth here. Okay, verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Wow, that sounds good. Living water. Now, to a Jew, the, word, the phrase living water can just mean running water. Okay, it's the idea of flowing water, overflow of water. So Jesus offers her living water, and he points to that well and says, Look, you're going to have to come again for this. You're going to be thirsty again. But what I give will satisfy your thirst forever. At this point, somewhere, you've got to think, Okay, I don't know if he's talking about real water. I think he's talking about something else. She doesn't pick up on that yet. She says, um, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw the water. You know, pretty convenient. Save on my water bill for the next uh, life. What is this living water that Jesus is offering her? What are your thoughts? 
Okay. He mentions eternal life. It's going to well up to eternal life. What I'm offering you wells up to eternal life. Anybody else? Do you think it continues welling up in you until he returns? Or is it a one-time thing? Does it just well up and then it kind of bubbles down? (laughs) Well, what does it say? It says... Whoever drinks water I give, that the water will I give him will become in him a spring of water. So let me ask you, does springs go away? Go away. Springs usually continue. Springs usually continue. They may dry up, but so it continues to feed you. So there's a continue fountain. It doesn't stop. Wow. That sounds good. That sounds good. You ever seen a lake that was spring fed? My grandpa's lake up in Michigan is a small lake, but it's spring-fed. It's clear. You can look through. You can see the bottom. You could drink it, except for I'm swimming next to my cousin, so I'm not going to drink it. (laughs) Spring-fed is the freshest overabundance, and it comes from the earth, and it doesn't stop. Beloved, what Jesus offers us is like that, and it satisfies so that you're not thirsty again. Okay, it has to do with eternal life. Now, we're going to look up a couple other verses where Jesus talks to see maybe what he's saying. Somebody look up for me John 6, chapter 6, verse 63. I guess we can all go there. Flip the page to your right. John 6, 63, verse 63. I stutter, so you don't want me reading it. Okay, does anybody want to read that verse? Okay, Cindy, go ahead. Chapter 6, verse 63. What did you say? Chapter 6, John 6, 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Okay. The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. So Jesus speaks something that is full of the Holy Spirit and of life through his words. Okay? There's life from what he is sharing. Okay, now jump to John 7. Next chapter, 7, verse 37 through 39. He's got that. Um, Karen, why don't you go ahead? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying... If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow. In 39. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Wow. Man, that's almost worth reading again. I want you to take a second and read that on your own. And then I'm going to read it again. He stood up at a feast. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow, that phrase, living water again. Where? Where's the living water flowing from? The heart. Wow. That sounds like a wellspring of water welling up to eternal life, right? Now, it explains what that well, what that... Are you talking about the masses or just in general? 
What? When it says for Jesus was not yet glorified, was he talking about the masses or just in general? I think it's speaking about Jesus' resurrection mm-hmm. and being ascended into heaven. So 39, it says about this, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom those who have believed in him would receive. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He didn't die, rise from the dead, and be ascended. Because when he ascended, he said, when I go to my Father, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, boy, a rush, you could say. A torrent, a river, a blessing. And... So I think what Jesus is offering this woman has to do with the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit. It has to do with eternal life. It has to do with a saving relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's like a well within that never runs dry. It is abundant. It is overflowing. And I believe, so it's basically Jesus is offering her God himself living inside a relationship with him. That's living water. In the Old Testament, God spoke about the Jews in Jeremiah 2, 13. And he said this, My people have committed two sins, two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And two, they have dug for themselves wells, broken wells that hold no water. Isn't that true of mankind? You feel that tug on your heart that you need to turn to God, that you need to come to God, that you repent, trust in Him, live in relationship with Him, and yet you say, I'd rather have this. You know what? Maybe later, I'm going to do this instead. I'd rather indulge in this pleasure. This seems to promise life. This promises satisfaction. I think this will quench my craving and my thirst. And yet we find that it's a broken well, a leaky bucket that holds no water. You come back and you're thirsty again. That sexual pleasure never really played through like I thought it was going to. That food craving never really hit the spot as I thought it would. Or maybe it did, it just stayed there, you know what I mean? Um, that status, that, that, that position in life, Never really felt like I thought it was going to feel that relationship. Never really filled me as I thought it would. Beloved, everywhere we turn, we have broken wells. When God, the fountain of living water, is waiting for you to turn to him and to be filled to the full. Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But how many times have I said no to God to turn to a broken well? That holds no water. Just like my friend who, who, who trusts in the Lord, but when he found the money pouring in, thought this wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it would be. What Jesus offers us is better. And this is why Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. So let me ask you a question. Oh, he said you would ask him and he would give you living water. Woman, if you knew what I could offer you, you'd ask me. Have you asked Jesus for living water? 
Have you turned to the fountain of life and said, nothing else is going to meet me? Nothing else is going to satisfy my heart. I want to give all to you. I want to trust in you. I want you to fill me, God. I want you. Nothing else will do. As David said in the Psalms, um, I have no pleasure on earth except for you. Wow. Nothing I desire. You ever heard that song? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. He was in love with God, and God filled his heart to overflowing like a wellspring that would well up. And how long does it last? Forever. That's who God is. And that's what God is inviting you into every day upon the basis of trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. When you have the Holy Spirit in you through trusting in Jesus, like a river, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience start flowing from your heart in all seasons. It doesn't run dry. Not because you have the strength to do all of those things, but because you've let the infinite one, the eternal one, the holy one dwell here. So when you've worked a 14-hour day and you're tired, and then somebody comes up to you and they have a problem or an issue, all of a sudden you have love to give that you didn't know you had. You have time for them that you didn't know you had. You have mercy for them. You have a word of encouragement for them because the river doesn't stop flowing. Even though you're tired, just as Jesus, wearied from his journey, was tired, sitting at a well, thirsty, yet he had time for the outcast Samaritan woman who came. How many people have entered into my life and needed help? And I had an opportunity to minister even out of my brokenness, out of my tiredness. It struck me as I was looking at this passage because I think the past two days I've put in over 12 to 14 hours a day doing coffee-related stuff. Usually these are my prep days for church. And, then, and here I was having to pour in all this time, getting, get, having to get up early in the morning and not having a lot of time. And just at my end, you know, I'm like, Lord, I don't like studying the Word so that I have to preach it. I want it to be the overflow, you know. And yet God remains the same. I go home one night, and as I'm unloading my car, the couple out in front starts fighting. She walks out with the child, gets in the car, and he's, he's, calling, her, he's calling her all these swear words. He's calling her a prostitute and all this sort of stuff from the apartment. And I'm thinking, is he going to attack her? Do I need to do something? Do I just need to stay? I'm unloading my trunk. Just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I decided to walk up and ask if everything was all right. And uh, as you know, Proverbs says, he who enters into another's dispute is like grabbing a dog by the ears. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and I got cussed out for it. And uh, she cussed me out too. So I thought, okay, there's no problem here. So I left. Somehow later, he came back out because he was afraid I was going to call the cops on him. And uh, he apologized and played nice with me and offered me a beer later as we were talking. So I had to go to bed. So I, uh, And uh, next thing you know, we're riding in his car trying to figure out what's wrong with his car. 
And ironically, I was done for the day. I wanted to go to sleep. And yet God was, for whatever reason, opening up a door. And it's like, God, what about when I was praying? You know, what about when I was in your word and I was all this? And yet here I am swamped with stuff. And all of a sudden he opens up a door to talk with somebody. I don't know why he does what he does. But have you ever read in the Bible how often Jesus is interrupted? You know? It's like, it's not your plan, it's his plan, right? And when you, you reach in your bag and you're like, I think I'm empty. I think I'm out of gas. And all of a sudden there's something there. It's because it's, it's not us. It's not us. We have nothing to give. I can't do anything by myself. Only him. And beloved, when you find yourself in that situation, it doesn't matter how much you've prayed. It doesn't matter how many, time, how many hours you logged in the word. What matters is Jesus lives in you. The fountain is there. It doesn't matter if you've sinned five times that day or 10 times or 20 times. It's not you. It's the one who lives in you. That is a light to the world. You know what I mean? So I thought great sermon illustration. I'll tuck it into my pocket for today. Um, That was a great testimony. Yeah. Well, and uh, he wasn't ready to talk about God either, which was the funny thing. He went on to, I, I told him, he thought, he tried to argue with me about calling the cops. And I said, I believe that we need to submit to our authorities. The Bible says that. And he proceeded to tell me what the Bible said. Um, I didn't tell him I was a pastor or anything. But, um, but I did say, uh, well, if you're interested, I could give you a couple passages to read on the subject. And he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> he really... Another proverb came into my mind is a fool has no delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own opinion. I didn't tell him that one. Wait, but <laughs> A fool has no delight in, un- in understanding, only in sharing his opinion. Um, I had a couple proverbs like that come into my mind, but I didn't think it was wise to share them at the time. Uh, he said he had several guns in his apartment, too. So, anyway. I wonder why he said that. So, it's a funny example. I am not a model. I have nothing that you don't have. I'm a poor example of a follower of Jesus in comparison to the one that we follow. But you know him. And you trust in him. And he dwells in you. Every situation he brings you to, he will use you. Just trust He said, those who believe in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. Not only satisfying your thirst, but satisfying the thirst of those around you. Beloved, never write yourself off and say that God doesn't want to use you. It's a lie from the devil. Because the Bible says that God has prepared good works for you. That you should walk in them. Maybe it's talking with somebody. Maybe it's praying with somebody. Maybe it's giving a hand. Maybe it's giving a gift. Maybe it's sweeping a floor. Maybe it's opening a door. But it comes from the Lord. It comes from the same God. Man, I should really finish right there. (laughs) That was awesome. Thanks. I, I noticed few times I've fallen into the trap of trying to counsel God. Uh-huh. Oh, me too. Don't go there. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, and it's like, what am I doing? You know. 
We think we get frustrated with our circumstance because we don't realize what God is doing. But God is doing something. And he wants me to trust him and to walk with him and turn to him in that circumstance. I'm going to read just this. Uh, I'm going to read just the rest of this passage. You got one more story and we'll close. Let's go to what Jesus does next. Remember, Jesus said, ask, and he'll give you living water. So here's what the woman does. She asks. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw water. Now Jesus begins to give her living water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him. Okay, so uh, let's pause there. She asks for living water. And rather than giving her a gospel tract and an invitation to his church. Jesus points to her sin. He strikes at her sin. How often do you do that when somebody comes and asks for eternal life and living water? And yet he went to her sin. Go call your husband. Actually, he's striking at her well that she's been drinking from. Well, I can't do that because I'm not I don't know anything about it. I don't know. Let's see what happens. He strikes He says, you've had five husbands. The man you are with is not your husband. And she comes to a very logical conclusion after that, verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yep, you got it. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place that people should worship. So now she actually asks him a very controversial question. One that was at the root of what Samaritans believed. Okay, now remember... The Samaritans had their own temple on Mount Gerizim, on this mountain, like she said. And so she asks him because this guy is, he's apparently special. He knows who I am. He knows my sin. He knows what's in my closet. So I'm, and yet she seemed to feel safe with him to ask the question. And here's how Jesus responds. He starts talking about spiritual worship. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And verse 24 is a central verse here. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So here, Jesus gives us your true purpose for living. Okay? If you're not supposed to be seeking after all the things of the world to satisfy your thirst, what is your true purpose? What is God looking for from your life? God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God's looking for worshipers. That's what he's looking for. Those who will acknowledge and honor him for who he is. That he is true. And worship him according to what the word says about worshiping God. And worship him from the Holy Spirit. From spiritual worship. Notice he mentions the spirit there. Again. 
worshiping him in spirit. This is what God is looking for from your life and from mine. What does worship even mean? What does it look like? Worship is to adore. Worship is to, to show the worth of something. Worthship. Okay? To show that someone is worthy or someone is worth it. When you worship, it's like everything in your life says, God, you are worth it. So I'm going to honor you. I love you. I'm going to serve you. I offer what I have because you are worth it. That's what worship is. And that is what God is seeking. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Now, just remember how Tom mentioned the, what Christ means. Or Messiah. Tom, man, the Holy Spirit's doing some things today. So she's, she knows about the Christ or the anointed one who is to come. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm it. Jesus points to himself. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. That's about as direct as you ever seen Jesus was with somebody about who he is. The Messiah. The Messiah. So the disciples come back and they're kind of shocked that he's talking with this woman. All right. And this woman runs into town. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar. She forgot she was getting water. She left it, went into the town and said to people, come and see a man who has told me all that he ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out from the town and were coming to him. Now we see a snapshot of Jesus talking to his disciples. And I want you to catch this. There's one last point in this I want us to learn from. The disciples said, Rabbi, eat. Verse 32. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Okay. Once again, Jesus using a physical example and people missing it, right? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Where's your food? What is the sustenance of your life? What brings fulfillment, beloved? There's no greater fulfillment than turning to God and doing his will. It's why you and I were created. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What if you prayed that every day when you got up in the morning? What if you prayed, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in my life today? What if you had a hunger for doing the will of God? Beloved, that hunger is satisfying. That com- It's like you're being satisfied, yet you're growing hungrier all the time. I don't know how to describe that. But you start to get consumed with God and who he is. I can tell you some of the greatest thrills are living for God and doing what he wants you to do rather than what you yourself want. Jesus then points, he says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. 
And then it goes on to finish that the Samaritans came and many, they spent two days with them and many believed that he was the savior of the world. But Jesus points to his disciples who had found living water, who found the well of eternal life and they were following him. And he says, look, look at the fields. And if you look outside, you can see the corn. You can see the wind on the corn, green. Soon that corn's going to turn gold. The field will be ripe for harvest and ready to be reaped, the fruit gathered. Beloved, if we were to look on the souls of men in the world, we would see that the field is already ripe for harvest. They have tasted the world. They have dug the wells from the world, and they were leaky. They are thirsty. They are hungry. And you have found living water in Christ, in knowing God. And as you come to him, that water will overflow like rivers of living water so that the world may know Jesus. There's a woman, I've talked about her before. Olivia mentioned her earlier, walking around in Ligonier. I've talked with her for two years. And I started noticing a pattern with her anytime I'd see her. She was always bitter, angry, and come to find out over time, it was always about her neighbors. I talked with her about the Lord. We had some interesting encounters over the years. But she, she never, she, it seemed like she was only half listening to me. It seemed as if she couldn't get off of the bitter hatred that she felt literally towards her neighbors. Well, we were able to give her a uh, World Missionary Press track, which is just full of Bible verses. We gave her one last week. She came back to the farmer's market the next morning and said, I need more of these booklets. I need these booklets. See, this, this book was a little complicated. It was a little big for her. You know, you get kind of lost in it. But she liked those little Bible booklets. And she wanted more. She took, an, she took a sample of everything we had and went home. And then I saw her again yesterday at the end of the day, a long day, when I was just taking a moment to sit down. And here she comes up again. I, where were you today? I couldn't see at the farmer's market. Do you have any more booklets? She's hungry. She's thirsty. And she read in those scripture booklets, love your neighbor as yourself. Like a weight. She said, my neighbors are going to send me to hell. <laughs> she couldn't get over. She can't. It's still present tense. She can't get over the hatred. But I'll tell you, I see God working in her spirit. See, we ask for wells of living water. And we think it's just going to hit us like a satisfying wave or like a drug. When God actually cuts to the heart and says... You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. If Christ were to strike to your heart to the well of leaky water, what would he find for you? Where do you turn? Jesus goes right to the core of where I have rejected him. And he says, this is where your sin is. This is what I died for. And I see it in her life. The sign of the Holy Spirit working is conviction of sin. He convicts us of sin. He tells us we're sinners and we need to repent. God is not a pushover. God is not a man pleaser. God will tell you like it is. 
so that you can see the reality of where you are, the emptiness of your life, so that you can turn to Jesus. And in this woman's life, it's love your neighbor as yourself. And she's talking to God about it, and she says, I can't love my neighbor. It's a good place to be. God is working in her life. Pray for her. You may see her in this church someday. She doesn't have to come here. Jesus, truly I say to you, neither in this church nor on that mountain will you worship the Father. But those who will worship will worship in spirit and in truth. I believe the Holy Spirit is working on her heart and I'm praying that she comes to see the emptiness of her life and trust in the fountain of living water. You can pray for her. Her stomach, she exercises more than anybody else I know, and yet her stomach is full of bitterness. When she talked about her neighbors, she gripped her stomach and hurt physically because her hatred is destroying her. Paul said, watch out that you don't bitter or argue, lest you consume one another. Our hatred will destroy us unless we encounter God's love for us. Christ. But she's a field that is ripe for harvest. And there are many more like her in every one of your lives. And you have the fountain of living water. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are nothing apart from you, but you are doing amazing things in our lives. You are the fountain of living water, God. Father, in the ways that we've dug broken wells that hold no water, we repent. We confess that it will not satisfy us. And we turn again to you and draw near because you hold the fountain of living water. Lord, we pray, fill us with the Holy Spirit, with spiritual songs, singing, that we may do your will and give thanks to our Father that we may share your living water with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.